Hi everyone, welcome to Identity3. It's a podcast all about Web3 and digital identity. My name is Nick uh, Lambert, I'm the CEO of Doc, and today it is my pleasure to be joined by Sarah Clark. Uh, Sarah is the Senior Vice President of Digital Identity at MasterCard. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. So, so uh, what I always do before we have guests on, Sarah, is, is kind of have a look through um, their the LinkedIn to give people listening in a, a flavor for what they've been doing and where they've been. Um, so you've been uh, at MasterCard for almost three years now. Uh, and really before that, you've always held, it seems, senior positions within the kind of identity space with several organizations. The two that came up uh, is uh, Endemia and uh, MyTech Systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also had senior product roles uh, for an e-commerce startup called Tilster and also a payment processor, um, Incom. So it almost seems like there's that kind of uh, identity, but also the kind of payment uh, link with that as well. And I'm guessing that's also why MasterCard wanted you onto their team, that kind of wealth of experience there. Interestingly, I noted that quite early in your career or almost at the start, you actually started out as a software developer and an architect um, for for (laughs) three years. And I actually wondered, like when I was reading through that, Sarah, I kind of wondered is that, um, what made you move away? Was that by design that you decided, actually I prefer the business orientated, more technical product roles than development? Or was that something that just kind of happened to you? Well, I actually started my career as an actuary because I have a math degree uh, and I worked at a consulting firm. It was called Watson Wyatt Worldwide at the time. And uh, the actuary career path wasn't a good fit for me as a person. It's a great career path. But I saw the software developers and they just seemed like they were working on really cool stuff. So I met, they allowed me to move into the development department. So I guess I kind of fell into software development. Um, I learned a lot. I enjoyed it. I'm sort of a logical thinker uh, naturally, I guess. I mean, I kind of have to be if you hold a math degree. Yeah, of course. Uh, but I found that I was always interested in talking about the vision and sort of that side of things. Um, so I did development for a number of years. It's great experience to understand the process. And I mean, that things have changed so much. I was using visual C++, right? I don't even know if that exists uh, anymore, but, but it gives you really great insight into how that all works. Uh, but I did intentionally move into more product oriented roles uh, because that's just a better fit for my strengths uh, personally. Um, but you're exactly right. I've been in identity for about a decade. Uh, I've had the uh, opportunity to lead a business uh, from the ground up um, at MyTech and identity with <clears throat> uh, identity verification using documents and biometrics and all of that. And uh, through doing that for a number of years, I just got to know the industry more at large And I was really interested in gaining more hands-on experience in other aspects of digital identity. So after about five years, great run at MyTech, we expanded globally. I mean, it was really exciting and interesting stuff. 
I stepped away, opened my own consultancy, got the opportunity to work with a number of companies in the space, big banks, kind of seeing how they were thinking about identity and leveraging their KYC uh, assets uh, more broadly uh, in that space. Um, So got to work on some bank ID type projects, uh, among other things. Spent some time at Edemia, uh, which is great because they are, you know, really powering a lot of government initiatives. Uh, COVID basically hit uh, when I was leaving Edemia. I thought, oh, I'm going to probably take more time off than I thought I would, which was actually great. I did a lot of things during that time, but got a call from MasterCard. MasterCard was looking for somebody to lead uh, they're reusable, globally interoperable ID, digital ID network uh, initiative. And I was like, oh, this is just a perfect fit uh, for what I want to do because I do believe reusable digital ID, verifiable credentials, all the stuff that's been forming for many years, I do believe that it's kind of coming to a head and becoming real in market. So I was very excited uh, to have the opportunity to lead uh, a major initiative in that space. So that's what I've been doing for the past three years uh, and happy to talk more about that. And, you know, I definitely want to share kind of my personal opinions, not just, you know, kind of the MasterCard uh, opinion on the space. Um, so excited to talk more uh, with you today. Yeah, fantastic. We can actually pick up there then on the MasterCard site because I think that um, MasterCard talk about a privacy preserving a global interoperable reusable ID network and like I mean historically you wouldn't often think of of large enterprises being particularly interested in the privacy preserving aspect many of them have historically lived off of the the data and the knowledge of of what their customers are doing Um, and so it seems like a a real shift for for a very large probably quite traditional I I would think in business And, and please tell me if I'm wrong actually moving into really wanting to preserve the, the privacy of, of their users. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that, Sarah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, MasterCard's a big company, so I don't claim to know every aspect of MasterCard. I think that's near impossible. But as a general uh, guiding principle, uh, you know, beyond identity and the payment space, MasterCard is very uh, stringent about data privacy in a good way. Uh, you know, collecting data, attaching that to people, uh, that is just not part of what MasterCard does at all. So we have a very, uh, you know, established, uh, very careful uh, privacy group. So that was actually really nice to see when I joined MasterCard because kind of from the outside, you're never quite sure. Uh, But the culture is really centered around data privacy kind of as a whole. Uh, But when it comes to identity, yeah, you're exactly right. The vision and the execution is all about the very simple principle that the paradigm is shifting. Individuals will own their own digital identity, uh, will share only what's needed, and that will be done using a framework that puts your data privacy at the center of things. And, you know, I think it's, you know, great that MasterCard holds that principle and we really do execute according to it. We're very, very careful about that. 
but it's also a match at what is happening globally, right? Data privacy laws continue to escalate. Uh, we see that certainly here in the States, um, and that's the same globally. So I would say beyond the walls of MasterCard, uh, this concept of a privacy-preserving, reusable digital ID, you know, that is where the market's going, um, in my view. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree. Um, and for those who are not familiar, um, Sarah, maybe you could talk about, first, like my, my, my follow-up question would be, what, why do we need that reusable um, digital ID? Um, but also, if you could even explain what, what even a reusable digital ID is for those who are maybe not familiar. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the concept is very simple. And, you know, sometimes folks don't kind of understand why MasterCard is in this business. But if you think about it, it's really analogous to payments. You own your own digital ID. Your ID credentials are stored in some sort of an identity wallet, um, digital identity wallet, of course, that you carry with you. And you share those credentials um, as needed to conduct your business. So the reusable concept is really just all about the fact that you are carrying a digital ID um, that is known to be valid um, in some way. And you can reuse it uh, wherever needed and it should be easy for you. Uh, so, you know, that that's really the concept. Why we need it. Um, there's... A bunch of reasons. Uh, reason number one um, that I've been really focused on and my team's been really focused on is to make things much easier and much more secure. So if you kind of look at what are the use cases that I mean when I refer to that, you know, one, of course, is opening a bank account. Right. Um, but that's something you don't do very often. Um, there are issues, I would say, with that process. It could be made easier, but you know, probably not the best example because how often do people open bank accounts? But EKYC is certainly a use case for a reusable digital ID. But what I mean more is age verification. Um, the, you know, regulations globally and I would say the need, right, is to protect certain content, certain purchases so that only people that are of a certain age can do that. Uh, you don't want to scan your driver's license at every site you might be going to. Um, that's not a great user experience and you're oversharing. What is needed is something where you can securely share I am of age through your reusable ID so that it's really, really simple and it's preserving your data privacy and it's enabling uh, more digital use cases to be accessed securely and so that it's really, really easy uh, for individuals. So we're working on like a lot of those high frequency use cases. And I would say that's a major driver for reusable ID. And then the benefit to the ecosystem at large is it also makes these less frequent use cases much, much easy, easier as well. So rising tides kind of lift all boats. And that's really how I see, you know, the market at large. Yeah, it's a nice way to put it. We actually had a, a really interesting use case with uh, um, CEO of Merit Protocol, um, Alex Lyashok, on um, on the previous episode, and he was talking about a, a pocket of probably about twenty million or so um, Americans who need to access loans uh, frequently, maybe eight to ten times per year, 
um, small amounts, like maybe 500 to $1,000, really just to make ends meet. Um, and that's another fantastic use case because it allows them to access financial products much more cheaply um, and with much less friction than they would today. So, so that's another really nice kind of um, relatively high volume uh, use for, for um, reusable KYC. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And, uh, you know, I guess other aspects of it are, you know, the friction's up front, right? And we can talk more about kind of digital driver's licenses and how that's really changing the game. Um, but, you know, kind of in addition to what you're mentioning, the other use case is just simply logging in or a step up or, you know, it, it, it's not always about signing up to your point. It's about re-authenticating uh, yeah. in a way that's secure and easy. Uh, and the other thing that I would point to is, you know, the current ecosystem, the tapestry of identity verification processes that are used, you know, uh, in different ways by different companies, there's a lot of fragmentation and fragmentation offers, uh, you know, opportunities for fraud to flow in. Yeah. So one of the simplest examples might be the way that uh, identity is verified during signup uh, could leave kind of a gap between that and ongoing authentication. Um, and you don't want that. You want the process to be seamless, ideally using biometrics, you know, not, you know, knowledge points, uh, closing gaps for SIM swap fraud. So there's so many ways we could take this conversation, but in simple terms, uh, a reusable ID uh, can solve for all of that fragmentation that's happening that's leading to continued increases, egregious increases in identity fraud. That's another huge problem globally and it continues to rise. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And you mentioned some of them before, like uh, um, you talked about biometrics and things. Um, what are you seeing is, again, at quite a high level, because I know you, it feels like you could go way, way down to the depths very quickly, Sarah, um, and you're almost going to straining to do that, which is great. But um, what are the kind of essential ingredients, do you think, to make um, like reusable KYC, for example, happen? What are the different types of, of uh, uh, you know, components or tools that, that we need um, as a collective to, to enable all this? Well, uh, so you need an identity wallet. Um, and, you know, I, I know we're probably going to talk more about verifiable credentials, um, but the fact that these standards are uh, becoming standards, <laughs> I guess, uh, that's, you know, that, that's great because it creates a way to, you know, inject, to verify, uh, you know, the different credentials that somebody might hold in, a, in an identity wallet. So there's that side of things. But... With respect to other technologies, um, because it's a reusable ID infrastructure, um, you know, part of the vision needs to be that it has to be extremely secure. So we're looking at um, a kind of stack of technologies that roll in uh, kind of a bunch of stuff to make sure that every interaction is secured to the highest level. So you mentioned biometrics. Uh, behavioral biometrics, both when you're onboarding into your uh, reusable ID to look for, you know, bots and device reputation and other signals. Uh, that's that's part of it. Uh, uh, active biometrics. So, you know, the strongest possible liveness detection 
um, and then making it really, really easy to use a physical or active biometric when somebody is unlocking their reusable ID and choosing to share uh, one of the credentials that's in it. So those are some examples of what we have. And again, we use a stack of a variety of signals and kind of the risk-based approach that is standard within KYC. All of that's kind of put into the reusable ID uh, ecosystem, as I think it should be, um, to make it very, very secure. So there are, you know, some opinions about biometrics, whether they're, you know, safe or good to use. And there's, you know, always advocates that are saying something about the overall privacy of biometrics. My opinion is that biometrics have reached a point where they are very, very easy to use. You know, mobile devices have incredible penetration rates globally that continues to grow. People unlock their devices more and more often with biometrics. And if you have biometrics combined with liveness, uh, that's an extremely good way to get rid of a lot of the fraud um, that comes with passwords and sort of other things that are less secure. So. Using physical biometrics is definitely part of how we've implemented reusable ID and how I would advocate uh, it should be implemented overall. And the privacy issues you talk about with biometric, I guess that's related to people having a concern if when they have their biometrics stored uh, with a provider, what is that provider doing with those biometrics, I guess, right. is, is the concern, isn't it? It is. And kind of going up a level, um, one of the things that makes our field so interesting and, you know, exciting in a way is, you know, these concerns are valid, right? I certainly don't want to create um, an ecosystem of the future where people are being tracked and that can be weaponized or what have you. Um, and that, you know, those possibilities certainly exist when you look at digital identity and kind of in whose hands are different elements. Uh, but there's been a lot of maturity um, to the technology, to ways to store things so that they're no longer, you know, a biometric that can be used in the wrong hand per se. Um, so, you know, a responsible use of those types of technologies is really, really important. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's part of what makes this industry really exciting um, is kind of how to do this right, because the benefits could be so great um, to have a global, you know, shift <laughs> to individually owned reusable digital IDs. Uh, but all of us as leaders in the space really need to keep a close eye on the ball to make sure that we're developing platforms that have the best interests of individuals always um, at the center. Yeah, and I think that's where the standard certainly, it's not the be all and end all, but that certainly is a, a good guide for us all as well. And um, those standards yes. have been developed by a lot of very smart people, well-intentioned people over a long period of time. And, um, and, and people get frustrated by how long standards can take, but that's in part a good thing because it really means everything's well thought through. And when we start to build with these standards, um, it means that, that we're, we're being in a, doing it in a really considered way, which I think is really important. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Do you, do you see, um, so MasterCard is certainly one of the more forward, like we kind of do as best we can to kind of see like who all the kind of players are in the space as, as a provider into the space. And it certainly seems like in the financial side, MasterCard certainly seem uh, 
you know, pretty far ahead of the game, I would say. Um, do you see this as a real strong, I guess, business differentiator between that and maybe some of your competitors, like offering this type of service and being fast to the market with it? I would say that, I mean, the answer is yes. Um, I would say that identity at large is a, is a differentiator for MasterCard. So what my team has been doing with building a new network for MasterCard, a globally interoperable, privacy-preserving uh, digital ID network, um, just to be very, very clear, that is a new network for MasterCard. Uh, we have our own trust mark in market, so you wouldn't uh, see the, you know, the, the circles um, to use your reusable digital ID. You see an ID brand. So it really is a new network that is you know, related to the payment network in terms of the expertise it takes to stand up a global network, but it's unrelated um, in the eyes of individuals globally. They get a reusable digital ID. They use it where they see the ID trust mark. Um, but identity is a big focus at MasterCard. And it's not just about the reusable digital ID network. It's also, also about the various signals um, that can be injected into uh, checkout flows, into payment flows, you know, into onboarding to an issuer of credit card flows. Um, so certainly at large, um, being able to secure all of that through identity risk signals and other things, that's a huge differentiator. It keeps the network secure. It keeps the individuals transacting on payments secure. Um, so, so yes, it, as a field, it's a big focus for MasterCard. And certainly there's a lot of interest in what my team is doing when it comes to EKYC and other things. But it's a new network and many of the use cases that we've been working on are just completely different, I guess, use cases than the traditional MasterCard business. So uh, helping universities, as an example, um, is something that we're focused on that really doesn't you know, overlap that much with uh, the main focus of MasterCard's core business. And I can talk more about what those use cases are if yeah, you want. I was actually going to come on to that, like, and it's, it's a good cue to do that. I mean, where, what are the, some of the more kind of useful um, projects that you've been involved in? Because I think when we were chatting um, kind of just before, um, you know, we had this session, Sarah, and we're talking about different uh, things that we could explore. It became evident to me that like the, the scope that, that both you and MasterCard were thinking about using this technology, it did seem... You know, there were there were obviously some obvious links to what I would um, determine to be your business. Then, of course, there were a lot of things, like you said, like universities that, that seemed um, pretty abstract. So, yeah, it'd be great to understand more about some of the maybe more interesting or more left field um, projects that you've been you've been involved in. Yeah. So I mentioned uh, age verification as being, you know, one of the global drivers. We're certainly involved in projects related to that. Um, and there's really two sides to, <clears throat> to just the age stuff. There's restricting access to, you know, certain goods like liquor sales. We're working with online liquor retailers, as an example, uh, as well as uh, content, you know, online at large. And a lot of the social media regulation that's passing in the U.S., I find that to be 
very, very interesting, and that will be a big driver. Um, but some of the other use cases, I mentioned university. Uh, having a digital identity in order to uh, conduct your life at a university is something that we've been working on in Brazil. Um, so onboarding and logging into the student portal, uh, using your digital identity to check in uh, at class or for certain exams. Um, so one example that I think is really interesting is uh, people in medical school, they need to be present and sit for certain, you know, exams that are hands-on, you know, tests of their, say, surgery skills. Uh, none of us want our doctor to not have actually been present for those types of tests. Uh, because, of course, that's critical uh, for them to know what they're doing when they're operating on you. Um, and there is fraud uh, with that type of thing. And that's not just true in Brazil. That's true globally. I, I read some crazy stats from Canada about people faking like advanced, I don't know, PhDs or advanced degrees. So it happens everywhere. So checking in and knowing that you are actually present at certain really key uh, exams in the university experience, uh, checking out, you know, uh, technology or equipment or books. So there's a whole bunch of things where you can use your digital ID, whether it's digitally or in person. And I think that's one of the great aspects of a well-formed reusable ID overall platform is it's not just about using your digital ID digitally. It's also about being able to use it in person. Um, so kind of crossing those, you know, channels um, is something that we also see as a, a need doing that seamlessly. And university life is a great example of that. Uh, going to the Web3 uh, topic um, and kind of maybe vastly different than university life, um, uh, definitely seeing, you know, emerging uh, businesses when it comes to using NFTs. Uh, for a variety of things. And uh, that's something that we've been active on, uh, NFTs for music. So musicians get royalties and the identity um, can be used as part of those interactions. Um, so I find those use cases to be uh, very interesting as well. Uh, so let me just stop there before I ramble on too long. <laughs> There's a lot of, I mean, if you think about it, you know, where digital identity is needed is kind of everywhere. It could clean up a lot. Um, and I find the whole Web3 digital ID, uh, you know, progress that's happening globally to be really exciting. And, you know, I think it's re-envisioning the way the internet works. And in my view, that's needed. <laughs> so, yeah. Definitely. And I think as well, like, I mean, if we can almost get all the way into, into DeFi as well, which is a kind of big part yeah. of decentralized finance. I think that, I mean, that that's an area that's obviously going to be regulated. I think that that you've, that we've found uh, companies that we've worked with or, or been just talking about in the space have either been um, kind of doing the ostrich thing of, of sticking their head in the sand and saying it'll never happen, uh, but they always find a way, uh, regulators. And so, yeah. Potentially, again, using you know uh, verifiable credentials in that type of environment potentially can work really well. And I think if that industry is quite forward about being involved in the um, how that compliance is applied, they can really help guide it as well and not have something kind of forced down upon them. Um, I think as well, talking about universities, uh, Sarah, one of the 
Um, we've been involved in discussions uh, with the European blockchain infrastructure, the EBSI group, and they're doing a lot of work now with universities where the universities are potentially pulling. So there's little alliances forming between uh, you know multiple universities across different countries in Europe, and they're trying to find ways of having um, some kind of identifier issued by one and being able to be understood by all of them. So I think like the the work that that you guys are seeing uh, is also in Brazil is also kind of happening at a you know quite a a large scale level with it within Europe as well at the EU Commission, which is good to see. Yeah, 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 and you know I guess it it goes both ways, right? Because uh, you know I'm Sarah and I'm showing up at maybe different universities and that can all interoperate, but. The other way is, of course, the universities can provide me with a verifiable credential uh, to show that I've reached a certification level, a degree level. I've taken, you know, whatever it is, accreditations. Um, So when you start to get into that view of the future where I can carry, you know, my university credential with me and then maybe I can use that in addition to my base identity that maybe is verified through a government uh, issuer, if I have my base identity and then my university credential and I want to get a loan that's targeted to, you know, students or recent grads, boom, you know, done. I don't need to go through a bunch of fill out this form and we'll verify with this. You know, it just it the use cases that it makes more accessible, easy and secure are really exciting. I mean, we haven't quite gotten to that spot um, at MasterCard. We've been really focused on the kind of base identity that's verified by a government issuer. So it's really about, you know, folks that are citizens. My group hasn't been working on the inclusion angle yet either. Um, But, you know, the the vision is that multi-credential environment, kind of just like you said, that operates across borders and is a two-way street, you know, especially when it comes to like a university or an employer, uh, stuff like that. And I guess as well, I mean, like you're saying, we're not there yet. And I think like the whole industry really isn't there yet. And I think it's still like the industry is still quite obsessed with trying to tell everyone how it works and it should be decentralized or should have a blockchain. And the reality is probably you know that you've actually made it when people are unaware that it's even there and, it, and it's yeah. working behind the scenes and, and it's totally seamless. That's when that's when you get the mass adoption and that's when you know you've actually built something that's, that's super useful and is, is mature enough to be used. I totally agree. Uh, and there's a lot of jargon and it can be quite confusing <clears throat> to people that aren't immersed in this space. Yeah. And I mean, that's my personal passion is taking things that are complex and, you know, making them really, really, really simple. Uh, And that, you know, there's a tremendous effort to create awareness and to, like you said, just make it into a utility that's both valuable, seamless, and, you know, you use it, but you're not really aware of why it works. It's just kind of magic, right, to the the average person. Um, But it's exciting to see uh, players like Apple also experimenting in the space just to kind of, I guess, pivot a, a bit to uh, maybe my own uh, question that I'll ask myself, right, which is about digital <laughs> credentials and mobile driver's licenses and all of that. Um, I think that's a huge driver. 
Um, very exciting to see uh, governments investing. I think there's like 40 governments that are actively investing in digital ID initiatives. Those look different depending on where you're at globally. Uh, some countries embrace the concept of a government sort of running the program. I happen to be wearing a SingPass shirt. They're an example of, you know, a place that's very advanced on that front. Um, other places, not so excited about that concept. Um, and that's like the UK and, you know, the US where there's kind of fear of a government centralized uh, approach. But, you know, even in these markets, you see mobile driver's licenses, digital driver's licenses, um, the ability for a certified provider to do a biometric check to the issuing source. So there's a lot of activity and that's going to be a huge driver uh, for a reusable ID because that's really what a mobile driver's license is. Uh, and seeing players like Apple move forward with allowing those to be in the wallet and to be used for certain use cases um, I think that's really great. And that helps introduce, you know, the concept uh, to people in a pretty simple way. Yeah. And they'll put, of course, they've got huge resources as well. And, you know, with Apple, <laughs> typically with their focus on UX, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be slick straight out of the box probably as well. So, um, yeah, yeah uh, it's definitely exciting times. And I think they could do a lot to, as long as it's done in the right way to, to gain mass adoption. Um, yeah. Yeah, I actually noticed like our, our Francisco who kind of helped um, uh, kind of with some of the research here, Sarah, he noted that you'd written kind of verifiable credentials are a key, a key component of the future of digital ID. And uh, I was going to ask you, why do you think that is? Well, I think it's a standard that just makes sense. Um, I am not a cryptography expert by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but just sort of the you know, design, the ratification by the W3C, the vision uh, of how they offer, you know, this kind of secure interaction between an issuer, an individual and a verifier. Uh, you know, it's just a key component uh, to this type of uh, platform of the future. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much why. Yeah, that makes sense. And we spoke as well at the start, Sarah, about kind of you kind of having a kind of a couple of hats on. I guess you've obviously got your own um, belief in your own outlook and things, and, and it's really refreshing that you're keen to share that as well. Um, you've spoken a lot about kind of Mastercard's approach, uh, but from a personal level, what do you envision for like the state of digital identity? Where do you think we'll be in uh, in ten years' time? What what would you want to see? Uh, I guess I want to see more of what the industry is coming together to, to implement. Um, I really do believe that we need a change in approach away from centralized authorities back to individuals. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, AI and other things that are accelerating the pace of innovation, they're all showing that there are just gaps that need to be filled. I think social media, you know, huge spotlight, on, you know, it's been a great equalizer, right, with respect to being able to get your story out. Um, but it's also been something that's, you know, got the potential to create a lot of damage to society uh, due to kind of unverified people spreading information and content that shouldn't be accessed. So there's all sorts of things uh, with that that need to be cleaned up. Um, and, 
uh, AI, uh, you know, Italy kind of banning chat GPT. Um, you know, part of that is really, you know, who's accessing kind of what information and, you know, there are pieces of that that are related to digital identity. So, you know, I do believe we're at kind of a, a you know, point where there's an inflection point uh, where there's just too much to ignore the fact that this needs to be cleaned up and it needs to be done urgently. So, I, you know, I don't know if I have some grand different vision of the future, but I do believe that this concept of injecting an individually owned digital ID into, you know, social media, into Web3 as it emerges, into how we interact with AI and how information gets spread and accessed. Uh, I, you know, I want to see a lot more happen with that. And I believe that it will. Yeah. And I think with AI, it's interesting. I mean, you'll, I'm sure, have seen the the images. I think there was Donald Trump was one, and, and Boris Johnson was another, where they used. I, I don't know what type of AI that they used, but yeah. they were converting obviously into images. And you know, it always strikes me that like that would be a situation where, like, we talk about credentials um, and how you could actually use credentials to prove who made a claim or an attestation about something. And I'm thinking yes. you can start to potentially use that uh, verifiable credentials as an antidote to deep fakes and AI generated imagery that is yes. for now probably fairly easy to detect, but who knows who will be in a couple of years time. Like, so how are we yeah. going to understand like what news sources to trust? Um, they would ideally, they would need to actually start signing uh, something yes. to say, look, we produced this or our staff produced this and then you can read that and then verify that that was the case and then decide whether you want to trust it or not. Yes, I, I agree. I I think that that's, you know, needed. I mean, then the other question is, of course, will people kind of care if it comes from a verified source or not and how will all of that kind of connect? Uh but, but yeah, I mean, that I, I think that we just need to continue to accelerate efforts because if you think about it, it's, it's scary, <laughs> you know, uh, the advances and being able to create deep fakes and other things and how that type of stuff can be weaponized, not to get all dark and kind of weird on you. But, you know, I, I think about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and I mean, I personally find it exciting and just really important to play a role in solving for that. So I, I mean, sometimes it can feel frustrating that things aren't moving quickly enough, but uh, in this space, things have moved pretty quickly. You know, even in the last five years, it's been incredible. So I believe that we will uh, start to solve for that. And that's, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be playing a role in it. Yeah, no, you certainly are. Um, yeah, so that's been a really, really interesting chat. I really do appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Um, we, we covered a lot of ground. Um, we've got a lot of kind of what MasterCard are doing, which is really kind of seem to be innovators in the space. And it was nice towards the end to get your own take on things. And and hopefully for the, the listeners, we didn't get too dark and weird for them either. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I really appreciate you coming on. It's been really nice uh, talking to you. Yeah, you too. I mean, uh, I, if you... Can't tell. I could talk for quite a long time on, on these topics. There's just so much there. But uh, I enjoyed it as well. And thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Sarah.